if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 38th chapter, the book of Ezekiel, as we continue our study through the Word. So last time we saw one of the most amazing prophecies, uh, the prophecy found in the 37th chapter, and that was the dry bones prophecy. And, and that was when God had declared that he would bring his nation back together again, that he would stitch the bones together and put sinew on it and flesh over it, and that he would breathe life into it. And, and we saw for 2,000 years, ever since the Romans destroyed the land in A.D. 70, we saw the nation of Israel just laying barren, and then we saw the nation gathered back together again, exactly as God had said, and that happened. The official date was May 14th, 1948, and the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's important because the nation of Israel is the center of God's timepiece. God has declared the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that yet will be, and and so as Ezekiel rolls into that 37th chapter, we see that he begins to speak about the things that are future, the things that are in the latter days, not in his time period, but for the latter days. And we are the ones that are living now in these latter days. And as we come here to these chapters now that we're going to look at this evening, we're going to be talking about Magog and the land of Magog and a warrior named Gog and that there is going to be an invasion, a confederacy of nations that is going to join together and is going to align themselves in a battle against Israel. They are going to seek to destroy the nation of Israel. And, and so this is a, a passage that scholars and, and Bible students have looked at wondering, you know, who are the nations uh, that are listed? When is this battle going to take place? And, uh, and so <clears throat> these are some of the things that we will seek to, uh, to gain understanding as we work our way uh, through the passage uh, here this evening. We begin in the very first verse, and it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And so Ezekiel now is going to prophesy against this leader, Gog, and, and Magog, the place of Gog. And, and so Gog is noted as the, uh, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and, and Tubal. Now, it's interesting as we try and figure out you know, who this Gog is, we look at the genealogies that are found uh, there in Genesis 10, uh, but uh, we see that uh, he is not mentioned in those genealogies, but he is the, the head of the land of Magog, who is mentioned as a son of Japheth. Now, we see that throughout the 
uh, the, the centuries, uh, uh, Hesiod, a Greek writer in the 7th century, identified Magog with the Scythians, which is southern Russia. We see that uh, Flavius Josephus, who was a, a first century historian, said that the Magogians were called Scythians uh, by the Greeks. And Philo, a first century Greek, also identified Magog with southern Russia. So we see here that Gog is the chief prince of Magog. And so Gog is not a land or a territory, but he is the chief prince of Magog. Now, Meshach and Tubal were peoples to the north of Israel, somewhere near the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. And these were peoples that are not elsewhere noted in the Old Testament, they have never been an enemy of the nation of Israel. They're not listed uh, as an enemy of the nation of, uh, of Israel. Uh, but we see that this is where the confederation is going to come from. Now, Meshach and Tubal have similar sounds to the Russian cities of Moscow uh, and Tobolsk, and similar sounding names, though alone, uh, are not enough to uh, make a certain connection with Russia uh, and her cities. But in verse 3 it says, And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all of your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And, and so uh, here once again we see that uh, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh. Now, we see that they're a, a new, a previously unnamed enemy, unlike Babylon or Assyria or Egypt. These are all known enemies and, and world powers that have been against the nation of Israel. But we see here that this ruler Gog rules over more than just one people group. Uh, and so it includes Meshach and Tubal. And that Gog's territory is found to the far north in respect to the nation of Israel. Now, it says of Gog and, and of this army that he is going to put hooks into your jaws. So we see that you know there is going to be this, this desire. God is going to put a hook into the jaw of Gog and, and is going to pull him down, is going to bring him down into Israel. Now, there have been many different Theories as to what that uh, hook could be. Could be the warm water port. It could be a, a desire to, to be involved in the Middle East with regards to the oil and to the oil fields that uh, lie there, the Dead Sea mineral deposits. So uh, there are various different aspects that, uh, that could be the hook that draws uh, Gog uh, down. But Gog is going to come and it says, with, uh, with all of your army. And so the description of the army that is coming. Now, Ezekiel is 
uh, once again, describing in words that were familiar in those days, the type of weapons that would be used. He's given a vision of the future army, but he's going to use the terms of conventional warfare that he knows to try and to describe the, uh, the army that he is seeing. You know, he sees a great company with bucklers and shields and, uh, and swords, uh, but uh, here we see it says, you know, horses and horsemen, but the word for horses that's found there uh, is literally leapers, um, could be self-propelled vehicles, tanks, helicopters, all of these types of things that Ezekiel uh, is seeing. What he sees, though, is a large, fast, well-equipped army that is ready to come in and to conquer. And so this is what uh, he observes. He, he lists now the nations that are uh, with it. So let's go ahead and put a slide up that might help us to kind of uh, take a look at, uh, at, at these nations. And, and so it says Persia and Ethiopia and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer, and all its troops, the house of Togomar, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So uh, we see here that Persia now, it begins with, Persia is modern Iran. So you see that uh, Iran is far to the east now uh, of Israel. We see that Russia is where Meshach uh, is, and so Gog and Magog are considered to be uh, Russia and southern Russia uh, there. We see that uh, Ethiopia, Cush is the ancient name of uh, Ethiopia. Libya, Put is uh, Libya, uh, and so Put. Gomer, now some believe this is a tribe that's in the region of the Black Sea, north uh, of the Black Sea, um, and others believe that there's a possibility that, that could even be a reference to Germany. The house of uh, Togomar uh, represents Armenia and, and the Turkish tribes. And so we see here that the nations are coming from every single different direction. We see that they are coming from north, south, the east, and west, this confederation that is going to converge upon the nation of Israel. Now, what is interesting is the nations that are aligned here together are predominantly Muslim nations. And this would indicate that there is the possibility that this becomes some type of a jihad uh, where everybody now is going to come and attack uh, at the same time against the nation uh, of uh, Israel. The interesting thing here, though, is when you look at all of those nations, Egypt is not mentioned. And so if we can have that slide back up for a second. Notice the, the proximity of Egypt where Egypt is directly to the west of the nation of Israel, but they are not listed while the other nations here are listed. Now, what is interesting is you will remember how, the, how Egypt made a peace accord with the nation of Israel. Now, I want you to remember that the Muslim nations were very upset with Egypt for making a peace accord with 
with Israel because when Egypt made a peace accord with Israel, they were recognizing them as a state. Now, the Muslims refused to recognize the nation of Israel uh, as a state and refused to acknowledge their right to, to exist. The Muslim nations are seeking to destroy the nation of Israel, wipe it off of the, uh, the face of the map. And so uh, here we see this collection of uh, Muslim nations here that are led uh, now by uh, Gog and Magog uh, from uh, predominantly from the south uh, of uh, Russia. He says now in verse uh, 7, prepare yourself and, and be ready you and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited in the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. And they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. So we see here that the nation of Israel is going to be at peace. Notice that it says here that in the last days. And so when Ezekiel is prophesying this, he is not prophesying for any time that he is going to see this is projected to be in the last days. He says in the land which had long been desolate. And so, of course, we see that the nation was brought back, but then destroyed destroyed again in AD 70, and, and so the land now had laid waste for almost 2,000 years. And then God brings them back into the, uh, the land, and it says, and now all of them dwell safely. So it is interesting that the nation of Israel is surrounded by their enemies, when you visit Israel, one of the things that they will tell you is that, that us living in the United States, we have no idea what it's like to be surrounded by countries that hate you, that want to see you absolutely destroyed. But yet we see there they are, and it says that they, it says that they are dwelling safely. Now, that word safely in Hebrew can also mean confidently. And, and I want you to know that they are very confident uh, over there. In Israel, the Jews are, uh, are very confident. And, uh, you know, there's t-shirts that say, don't worry, America, Israel is behind you, you know, <laughs> and all, and they are, they are very confident of their technology and of their military prowess and uh, of their weaponry, and, uh, and so they are very confident. They are, they are dwelling confidently uh, in their land uh, even to this day. And so it says, verse 9, you will ascend, speaking about Gog and Magog, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. And so the armies of Gog are going to come against Israel. It says that they are going to bring a great destructive power. They're going to kind of swoop in like a, like a plague. The chief aggressor is going to be Gog, but with all of these other nations, Magog and the other nations combining with them. And thus says the Lord God, and on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. 
I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them, dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. And so we see that Gog is not going to be dragged into this conflict unwillingly. They are going to make a, <coughs> an evil plan within their hearts. They're going to look at the nation of Israel and say, it's not a, there aren't walls. It's an easy nation to overthrow. Now, in the nation of Israel, there is in Jerusalem, there is the walled city of Jerusalem. That's the old, the old city, but it is a very small portion of Jerusalem itself there the nation is without walls and uh, and so we see here that that they are going to have evil intent to come they're going to look upon them as uh, as an easy prayer easy target here it says in verse 12 to take plunder and to take booty to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited once again, the nation of Israel was just wasted land. And now we see that it is inhabited, it is cultivated, it is productive. And it says, and against the people gathered from the nations. And, and that is what we have seen, the repopulation of the nation of Israel from all over. If you are a Jew and you live anywhere in the world and you tell Israel that you want to come home, they will fly you give you citizenship, they will establish you, they will put you into a, a welfare program to get you onto your feet and to get you going. And so they have reached out their arms to the Jews that are in the four corners of the earth to be able to allow them to come back and to repopulate their land. And so it says that a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? And so, uh, here we see that, uh, that the, the, the nations are going to come in to uh, plunder and to take booty. And it says that they are coming against the waste places that are now inhabited with the livestock and all who dwell. And notice it says in the midst of the land or in the middle of the land, in the middle of the land. There is a rabbinic teaching that says that as the navel is set in the center of the human body, so is the land of Israel, the navel of the world, situated in the center of the world, and Jerusalem is the center of the land of Israel, and the sanctuary is the center of Jerusalem, and the holy place is the center of the sanctuary, and the ark in the center of the holy place and the foundation stone before the holy place, because from it the world was founded. And so we see to the Jews, we see that there are these concentric circles that come all the way to the one place on the face of the earth. I want you to just imagine this for a minute. You look at the whole world. 
We have the spectacular photographs of the, the earth once we finally launched out into space and could look back at planet earth. And, and we see these unbelievable pictures of planet earth. But on planet earth, there was one place of the whole earth that God put his finger. And he said, this will be my land. And this will be where my people uh, will dwell. And then within that land, there was one place that he put his finger. And he said, this is where my temple is going to be. And it is there in the holy of holies that my Shekinah glory will dwell with mankind. No place else on the face of the earth, but there in the holy of holies between the wings of the cherubim over the mercy sea is where the presence of God was said to have been. And so God, in creating the world and the earth, picked that one singular place where he was going to manifest himself there to God's people and to the court of the Gentiles. Now, the temple was there. You had your men's court and the women's court, but the Gentiles weren't allowed to go in. There was a, a court that wrapped around the outside, and this is where the Gentiles could come, and that is as close as the Gentiles could come to the presence of the living God here uh, upon this earth. But uh, they are going to be now, it says, in the midst of the land. They are going to uh, occupy Jerusalem. And so uh, they are going to come up against uh, Jerusalem. And it says, Sheba in Dedan. Now, who's Sheba in Dedan? Well, that's Saudi Arabia. Uh, and so we see that uh, Saudi Arabia, it says Sheba in Dedan and Tarshish and the merchants of Tarshish are all going to be opposing this invasion of uh, Israel. So it is interesting that Saudi Arabia would be sticking up for uh, the, the nation of uh, Israel, but it may very well be that they are feeling threatened by this uh, invasion, believing possibly that, uh, that they are going to be next once again because of the vast uh, oil fields in Saudi Arabia and the wealth uh, that is there, this great coalition of, uh, of army. And so it says that Sheba and Dedan, and also it says uh, now the merchants of Tarshish all also. Now, there's a difference of opinion amongst Bible commentators as to uh, the identity of Tarshish. Some say that it's Spain, but others say that it's England. And so if it is England, it says, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions. Now, uh, the United States kind of uh, being an, uh, a colony, an English colony that broke off. Many believe that this is a reference to the, the United States here, that we are the young lions and that there is now this this question that's being asked, have you come to take plunder? As, you know, have you gathered your army to take booty? And, uh, and so we see here that, uh, that this sounds very much like the possibility that, uh, that this is the objection. This sounds like, and it's an, an appeal to the United Nations to sanction these nations that are now uh, coming against the, uh, the nation of Israel uh, as they are kind of filing papers with the Security Council asking them to condemn these nations for uh, their aggression. So uh, we see as they are coming down that there is this uh, opposition. Verse 14, Therefore, son of man, 
prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people, Israel, dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company in a mighty army. Now, once again, Moscow is just almost straight due north uh, of uh, Jerusalem. And so, again, the possibility that, uh, that Gog and Magog are representative uh, of a leader and also of the nation uh, of uh, Russia. Verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. But it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants and prophets of Israel who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And so... Here we see that Ezekiel is emphasizing that this attack against Israel is going to happen in the last days. And it says that the nations may know me when I am hallowed to you. The nations will know that I am God when I am sanctified before their eyes. And then there is the question, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets? And so this is a rhetorical question now that is being asked. The answer of yes means that this attack in God's action, it was all prophesied. It was previously given by the various different messengers in Israel. We see that Ezekiel is talking about it here. We see that Joel talks about it. We see that Zechariah also describes a, a great attack on Jerusalem during which the Lord is going to overthrow uh, the enemy. Uh, and so we see that God is going to stand up uh, and he is going to thwart uh, this attack on uh, the nation of Israel. Now, the big question, you know, the two questions as, we, as you study through Ezekiel 38 and 39 you know, first is the identity of the nations. That's uh, always a great, you know, question as to what the exact identity of these nations is. It is interesting when you look at the Soviet Union, when you look at Russia, that they are currently aligned with these Muslim nations, that, uh, that these are the nations that are in a, a coalition to this day. We see also, though, that the, the question that everybody really wants to know is when, when, is this attack going to take place? And so there are a couple of different thoughts with regards to when this battle is going to take place. Now, this battle could take place before the beginning of the final seven-year period. You'll remember that there's one final seven-year period. There, uh, there is the 49 weeks that have been given, and, and so there is one final seven-year period uh, that is yet to come, and uh, that is known as the tribulation period. Now, uh, the battle of Ezekiel here, 
chapter 38, we see that it could happen before the beginning of that uh, last seven-year period, before the uh, return of Christ who comes at the end uh, of uh, that final seven-year period. Now, it also could take place in the middle of that seven-year period. You will remember that the beginning of that seven year, that final week, is going to happen with a peace treaty. And that peace treaty is going to be a seven year peace treaty. And it says that that is going to be a, a, a masterful peace treaty, but that halfway through at the three and a half year mark, that that is when now the Antichrist is going to walk into the temple. He's going to stop the sacrifices. He is going to declare that he himself is God and demand that the whole world worship him. And so it could be that in the middle of the tribulation period is where this battle is going to take place. Now, it could also happen at the end of the seven-year period of that final uh, week. And that that is when the return of Jesus Christ takes place. And, uh, and so that paddle, battle could be concluded by uh, the return of uh, Jesus Christ. We see that uh, there is a, a connection between Revelation chapter 19 uh, and uh, Ezekiel chapter 39. But also there are those who believe that this battle is going to take place. You remember that Christ is going to return at the end of that seven-year period, at the end of the great tribulation, which is the final three and a half years. That is when the Lord is going to return. He's going to judge the nations at that point. He's going to set up his government. His government is going to rule and reign in righteousness for a thousand years. You remember that Satan is bound to during that thousand-year reign, and then he is let out for a time period. And it says that Satan now is going to lead one last rebellion against Christ and is going to lead the troops there towards Jerusalem. And so some believe that this Ezekiel 38 and 39 is talking about the final battle, the final rebellion of Satan that is at the end of the thousand year reign. But... If you want to know the truth of when that battle is going to take place, you're going to have to ask Jesus because he's the only one at this point that knows exactly when this battle is going to take place. But we see when it does take place here, we are going to see what happens. Verse 18, and it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. So uh, this is an anthropomorphism. This is now taking human characteristics and, and putting it onto God. But the, uh, the picture is of a, uh, of a person that's very angry. Their face gets red. They start snorting. You know, that, that's, the, that's the face uh, that you don't want to see on God. Uh, this is the one now. Uh, he is going to stand up and he is going to fight on behalf uh, of the nation. Now, throughout the scriptures, we see how God has stood up and and battled uh, for uh, the nation of Israel. He says, For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence." 
and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall into the ground. So there is going to be an absolute uh, unbelievable earthquake that is going to uh, take place. It is going to humble man. It is going to ultimately bring glory to God. It says that every wall is going to fall into the ground. And so the uh, the whole of the ground being shaken, the walls falling to the ground. He says, and I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and, and brimstone. And so we see that along with this earthquake, there are going to be cataclysmic events that are going to transpire here. There is going to be such confusion uh, and strife among the nations that they are all going to turn on one another. This, uh, this loose coalition that comes into this battle, suddenly in the confusion, they are going to start battling with uh, one another. He says, and he is going to uh, rain down on them uh, fire and brimstone and hailstones and flooding rain. And, and so and here we see God's uh, intervention. And we see the way in which God has uh, interceded in the past uh, before the nation of Israel. You remember when the Assyrians, when Sennacherib uh, brings his army up to the walls of Jerusalem and threatens uh, Jerusalem, and, and in one night, uh, the Lord sends an angel with a sword that destroys the entire uh, army there. We see the hailstones that God has sent at various times throughout the Bible. You remember that hailstones were one of the 10 plagues that God sent to when the, when the Israelites were there in Egypt. Also, in Joshua, when there were the, the battle after they had taken Jericho and after Ai, then Gibeon signs a peace treaty and all the rest of the kings of the region, they all come against uh, Gibeon. And, and so Gibeon reaches out to the Israelites and the Israelites now step into battle. And, and we see that there were the five kings of the Amorites, uh, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Latius, the king of Eglon. They were gathered together. They went up and all of their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And uh, so God told Joshua not to worry that he would be with them. And so they rout the, these armies, but God sends these hailstones down and the hailstones destroyed more of the army than the Israelites did. You remember how Pharaoh's army and what God did to it in the Red Sea and completely destroys the entire army uh, of the Red Sea. You see how God, Sodom and Gomorrah, 
how they were judged and fire and brimstone was rained down upon them. We see the, the world was judged when God sent a flood. So, so we see God using these, these disasters and interceding here. And so we see that in this battle, God is going to once again intercede. It's interesting, you know, this, he's saying that there is this fire, there's brimstone, there's these great hailstones that are coming. Now, they, scientists have said that if an asteroid were to hit the Earth, just a, just a, a relatively small uh, asteroid was to hit the Earth, that uh, what would happen is, is that the impact would vaporize the ground and, and the dust would go up into the air, uh, vaporize, and then as it comes back down, it would be on fire and it would be raining down this fire uh, from the asteroid having hit with the impact to the earth. And, and you would have think that they're reading right out of the Bible, you know, uh, of how it's going to rain down this fire and how it's going to rain down these hailstones. But regardless of how God does it, we know that there is going to be these cataclysmic events that are going to take, uh, there's going to cause massive confusion. The armies are going to fight once one another. Uh, hailstones are going to come. Uh, a gigantic earthquake is going to take place. And it says in verse 23, And thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. And so the whole world is going to see the way that God is going to defend, that he is going to protect the nation of Israel from this confederation. It says in verse 1 of this 39th chapter now, it says, And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Now, in Hebrew literature, it was common to tell a story and then go back and tell the story again with greater detail. Uh, and so here we see that in chapter 39 now is going to repeat now, but it is going to give some additional details. We see the first eight verses is going to be a summary of the previous chapter. It says, then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. And so, once again, the word for arrow just simply means flying missiles. And so, what exactly are these, these missiles or these arrows? We, we don't know. But, verse 4, it says, and you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. And I will give you to birds of prey of every sort, to the beasts of the field to be devoured. And you shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And so we see that they are going to be unsuccessful in their attack. They're going to perish on the hillsides there in Israel. In verse 6, and I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. 
and then they shall know that uh, I am the Lord. So uh, we see that either as part of the battle or soon afterwards, there is going to be fire now that's going to break out in Magog. So though they came down to destroy Israel, we see that there is going to be destruction that is going to take place. Now, God is going to send fire against Gog's land, uh, which is at Magog. It says, and so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. And then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. And surely it is coming, and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. And so we see that it says that he is going to make his holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And so we see that this defense of the nation of Israel is going to bring his people, listen, to a restored place of holiness there. He says, I'm not going to let them profane my name anymore. And so here we see that uh, that though the nation of Israel has been regathered back together, it, even to this day, we see that they are not regathered to their God. They are very much a secular nation, very much a secular culture that is uh, over there. And, and so they are God's people, but they don't recognize, they are not conducting themselves, they're not exalting uh, God. Uh, and so we see here that he has them in the land, he says, but they're profaning me by not knowing me, by not being in a relationship uh, with me. And so we see that once these, uh, this destruction takes place, that this is going to be a wake-up call to the nation of Israel that he is the true and the uh, living God. And, and their right relationship, a true relationship, is now going to be restored after uh, this battle. And it says, and then the nations shall know that I am the Lord. And so God is going to reveal himself, listen, not only to Israel, but also to the entire world. Can you imagine the impact that this would have uh, upon the world when now the very scriptures are brought out and the details are laid forth and the fulfillment of these prophecies are going to be on the, uh, on the newscasts uh, uh, or they might not ever make the newscasts uh, uh, whatsoever, but uh, the people will discover, they will learn, uh, they will know that God is the one that has done this. And so it says that God is going to glorify himself through his defense of the nation of Israel. Israel is not going to be able to take credit for this. They are not going to be the ones that, that overthrow and thwart this incursion against them. It is going to be a supernatural defense by God. And everybody is going to recognize that. The world is going to recognize that. The nation of Israel is going to recognize that. It says, and then those, verse 9, who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. And they will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest because they will make fires 
with the weapons. They will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. So they are going to make fires, it says, from the weapons that are left behind for seven years. The fuel the, that is going to be there is going to leave behind a, a seven-year supply of, of, of fuel. And so just... Uh, once again, interesting the way in which when a, a battle is won, how the side that wins will go over and take the weapons uh, from the other side that have been conquered in that in battle. And, uh, and so here we see that uh, these weapons now are going to be collected. It says that they will plunder those who plundered them. And so where Gog and allies intended to come and plunder Israel, we find that they themselves, the attackers themselves, are the ones that are going to end up being plundered themselves. It says in verse 11, And it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers because they will bury Gog and all his multitude. And therefore they will call it the valley of Hamon Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. So we see the battle is going to take place and all of these military people are going to end up dying. And the bodies now, are going to need to have this mass grave. And so it's going to take them seven months to be able to go. They're going to bury them over on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And it's going to take them seven months now. It says that they're going to bury them in order to cleanse the land. They're not just going to let the bodies out there to rot. It says, and indeed, all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it. On the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. And they will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. And at the end of seven months, they will make a search. And so we see here that God is going to give Gog a burial place there. Uh, it's going to take seven uh, months, uh, and they are going to then uh, cleanse uh, the land. Now, it's interesting here in verse 15. It says, the search party will pass through the land. And when anyone sees a man's bones, uh, he will set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. The name of the city will also be Hamona, and thus they shall cleanse the land. So they're going to take it over to the other side and they are going to bury them there. And we see here 
that when they come, they are going to uh, set up uh, markers. Now, they're not to touch the actual bones themselves. They're just to set up a marker, and then there's going to be these professionals that are going to come in, and they are going to uh, handle the, uh, the bones. Now, Zechariah, in his prophecy, uh, speaks about uh, how uh, the enemies are going to fight against Israel and that the Lord is going to smite them. And it says that their flesh is going to consume away while they stand on their feet. It says that their eyes will be consumed in their sockets, their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And so uh, this sounds like uh, radiation. This sounds very much like uh, what happens with a, a nuclear blast of some type. It is also interesting that when there is radiation uh, on the ground, uh, that this is exactly the protocols that you have in place, that there are markers that will go out and that they will search and then they will just put and flags when they find the things and then they will have the radiation team uh, the hazmat will come in to take and to collect it then uh, and to remove it and so uh, these here are the the protocols in place so it sounds very much like there could be in this battle that takes in place uh, that there could be some type of release of some uh, some of the uh, weapons. We know that uh, Iran is developing weapons and uh, nuclear uh, weapons today. Israel is very concerned about the uh, about the continued research of the uh, of the nuclear weapons uh, the, of Iran. And Iran has said that uh, that that the first thing that they're going to do is to wipe. Israel off the face of the map. And so, and so Israel has a very vested interest in making sure that Iran does not get their hands on nuclear weapons. But it, it is interesting here uh, that it is talking about these people that are going to die on the fields and that there are going to be for seven months the cleansing of the land, the, the taking, the marking of the bodies, uh, the then having the handlers come. Uh, and so it says, and thus they shall uh, cleanse the land. Now, we see that the Israelites are going to contribute nothing to this victory, but they are going to be the ones that are going to clean up the battlefield. And so their responsibility afterwards, God is going to give them the victory, but they do the mop up. And you know, oftentimes we sing the battle belongs to the Lord. We talk about the way in which Satan is a defeated foe. The way that God is the one that defends you. God is the one that protects you. God is the one that fights for you. But notice this, that they still have to go up and clean up the field afterwards, that there is still a mop-up, that we still have to suit up and show up, and we still have to step out onto the, the battlefield in our life. But I want you to know that the same God that watches over the nation of Israel is the same God that watches over you, that you are the apple of his eye. No weapon formed against you will prosper, that if God be for you, who can be against you? Who can stand against you? And as you watch God protect the nation of Israel, as you watch God protect his people, know of that protective hand that is upon you and in your life. And think of the fear that the, this confederation of, uh, of nations and the saber rattling that would take place and then the, the moving of the troops and the heading forth and, uh, and all. And yet in all of that, God knows the plan that he has. God knows that he is going to fight on their behalf. He, he knows that they're never going to prosper. 
that though they may come all the way into the land, that the very land that they are seeking to plunder is the very land that he's going to bury them on. And know that that is also true in your life, that God is the one that is protecting you. God is the one that is defending you. And, and who can stand against the right hand of God Almighty? When God is protecting you, you have nothing to worry about. Amen? Who can clutch you out of the hand of, uh, of God? And so uh, here we see that the, uh, the whole world is going to see this take place. In verse 17, we see this, uh, this triumphal festival. It says, And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. A great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood, and you shall eat the flesh of the mighty, and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you are full, and drink blood till you are drunk, at my sacrificial meal which I am sacrificing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, with all the men of war, says the Lord God. And so we see this picture now of kind of this ceremonial meal that, you know, Ezekiel is calling the, the birds and the beasts now to the, to the battlefield and, and to feast on all of those that have fallen. The armies of Gog were now like rams and lambs offered in sacrifice. And so here also uh, we see that you know this may also be a reference that there's a tie-in of this to the battle of armageddon which would place this battle at the end of the seven years when jesus christ returns because uh, we see in revelation chapter 17 you're going to see that the birds are also invited uh, to feast at the feast that god prepares and so in both of those battles uh, there is going to be the invitation to come and to feast upon uh, the enemies uh, of uh, God. In verse 21, it says, And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed in my hand, which I have laid on them. And so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. And therefore I hid my face from them and I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgression, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. And so we see here that the restoration described now is focused on Israel. We see, though, that God's intention is to set his glory amongst all of the nations. And so the Gentiles through this are going to also know that Israel went into captivity because of their iniquity. And so uh, they would know that God himself directed uh, the consequences and the calamity that came upon Israel because of their sin and of their unfaithfulness. 
He says, you know, uh, that they have been hidden from my face. He says, and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face uh, from them. Paul writes in Romans that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, but then all Israel is going to be saved. And so right now in Israel, national blindness, they're blind to Jesus Christ. They are blind to the truths of God, but one day, that day will come when God will work again and their eyes are gonna be opened. Therefore, verse 25, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. And after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, which when they dwelt safely in their own land and when no one made them afraid. Now when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations. And so uh, here we see that you know, Ezekiel is talking to the, uh, the Jewish exiles in Babylon, uh, and they now, uh, after the fall of uh, Jerusalem, they wondered if God was ever going to restore their nation uh, ever again. And so these prophecies, these promises were precious to them. Uh, and we see that they were given a partial fulfillment uh, when Zerubbabel and uh, Ezra bring them back into the land. But the complete fulfillment of this and the complete restoration uh, still uh, awaits. It says, then, verse 28, they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. And so we see that I have left none of them captive any longer. We see that, that God's restoration is not only total, but also it is permanent. And he promises never again to hide his face from his people. He says that I have poured out my spirit. And we see that, you know, Joel's prophecy says that, you know, it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men will dream dreams. We have a partial fulfillment of that. Uh, that happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out upon the church. But we see that the eyes of uh, Israel are still closed. And so and the Spirit has not been poured out upon the uh, whole earth. Uh, and so uh, we see that right now uh, where we are, you know, we're in between chapters 37 and 38 uh, in history. We have seen Ezekiel dry bones. We have seen the nation regather from the four corners of the earth. We have seen the alliance of the nations of Gog and Magog, of Libya and Put, and, and of all of these nations, Iran and Persia, and all of these nations are, are now in a coalition together. And so we sit at this very time here, and, and we don't know, when God is going to uh, move, 
but we are going to see that, uh, that these events are going to absolutely come to pass just as surely as the dry bones prophecy came to pass, so also will the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, come to pass in God's perfect timing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, the way in which not one jot, not one tittle will go unfulfilled in the law. Jesus, you were the one that declared it. That you didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And that all of it, every promise, the exact specifics, exactly as you have said. And so, God, your word is trustworthy. We can build our life upon the solid rock of the truth in our lives. Father God, help us to grow excited knowing that we are living in these last days, that we are living in the times that these nations are in motion. And so God, we ask that you would fill us, help us to keep our eyes lifted up to where our redemption lies and to know that, that soon and very soon, Lord, you are going to return for your church and that the rapture of the church is going to be so glorious when you will descend with the shout of an archangel, the trump, the sound will go forth and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive will be caught up to join you in the air that where you are, that we may be forever. So Lord, we thank you. We look forward to the glorious promises Father, and to the ends of the age and your plan for the ends of the age. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.